The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Hillary, for, for reading the full chapter. Um, good morning, downtown church. Um, I'm seeing a lot of new faces. And just to bring you up to speed, we are 
walking through the book of John, and we are today looking at John 17, and I have, I feel, a, a big task to preach to you a full chapter. Y'all just read that. It's a full chapter. It's a lot of stuff that was said, so I'm going to do my best to um, preach, thus says the Lord. So before preaching, will you um, bow with me in the word of prayer? Um, dear Lord, as my preaching mentor, Gardner C. Taylor, will always say before he preached, Lord, we preach that we may see you, Jesus. And that's my prayer this morning, Lord, that we see you, uh, more of you in your word, not just an intellectual head knowledge, but a knowing you, a seeing you that changes our hearts, that changes the way we live, changes the way we think, changes the way we feel. Lord, more than anything, Lord, we um, need you, and we need your love to take root deeply in our hearts. So I just pray, even now, Lord, as we come to your word, that as you pray, that you be glorified, and that we um, um, remain one as we pursue you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, do you know that prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we have as God's children. You may not know this, but the Bible actually tells us that we, in fact, are at war. Spiritual warfare is, re is real. Um, Paul said in, in Ephesians um, 4 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spiritual realm, and prayer is our greatest weapon. It's our direct access line to the creator of this world, God our Father, to make our request known. It's the tool that we have to ask God for help in times of trouble, to ask God for wisdom in moments of confusion, and to ask for protection during the storm. Now, I know sometimes, I know, I know you pray and you feel like you, you are talking to God's voicemail. You feel like God is taking his time to pick up the phone. I, I know sometimes we question, is God even listening to us? Why am I praying? Well, let me encourage you again through Scripture that First Peter says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears of the Lord are attentive to their prayer. God does, in fact, see you and listen to you when you pray. And John 17 is an amazing chapter because John 17 is Jesus' prayer. John 17 allows us, in a sense, to eavesdrop into Jesus' conversation with his father and right before his crucifixion. And John 17, Jesus is praying right before he's about to be arrested and crucified. But not only is Jesus praying, but what's amazing is that Jesus is praying for you. I love John 17 because it shows us the gentle and compassionate heart of Jesus. If you remember John 16, um, Jesus just gave his disciples some rough news. He gave them the reality that, hey, some trouble is coming and I'm, and I'm not going to be here with you. But I love the fact that Jesus just didn't say, I, I, I child, peace, I'm out. Y'all make it on your own. But no, Chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus stopped and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he began to pray to God on his disciples' behalf. 
And Jesus, God the Son, prayed to God the Father on his children's behalf. And he said, Father, my hour has come. It's time for me to go. So glorify me because I have completed the work that I, have, that I was sent to do. What was the work Jesus was sent to do? John chapter 5 verse 24 reminds us that Jesus says that I have came so that all who believe in me and call on my name may have eternal life eternal life. And now in John 17, verse 3, Jesus said these amazing words. He says, you want to know what eternal life is? This is eternal life. Eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. What you all long for, everlasting life, joy forevermore, is to know the one true God. And I want us to know that knowing God is just a, it's not an intellectual knowing the facts about something, but it's this deeper knowing by experiencing, by tasting yourself. Um, I personally, well, I intellectually know that an A5 Wagyu steak is the best steak out there. It's the best steak your tongue, your lips can, can ever touch. I know this because I have watched countless YouTube videos watching people eat and grill these A5 steaks. I, I have read all of the blogs, but I have never tasted it myself. Well, just last week, I was talking with Mike and Jennifer Goosby about, the, about this fabulous, terrific steak I had um, over my birthday weekend, and I was talking about how good it was, and I made the poor mistake by comparing this steak to an A5 Wagyu steak. And Jennifer said, oh, no, oh, oh, no, no, no. It's nothing like an A5 Wagyu steak. And she began to say, when you, when you uh, put it in your mouth, it literally melts like butter. I didn't believe the hype until I experienced it myself. And she went on and on talking about it, and I promise you, it was almost as if she was back at the dinner table cutting up that steak and right in my face because she tasted it. This is eternal life. <laughs> it's, it's not just knowing about God. It's not just knowing about heaven. It's not just knowing the facts or something, but it's by experiencing the person, the presence, the love, the peace of God for yourself. Eternal life is not just a place or a destination, but it's a person. It's the person of Jesus. Now, I, I know we all long for heaven. We all want to make it into heaven on that day. We all long for the famous one day, someday. But I want you to know that even today, no matter where you are, who you are, what you're going through, what you're not going through, you can have eternal life, not because you have reached the place, not because you have made it out of a situation, but you can have eternal life because of the person that you are in relationship with. And that person's name is Jesus. Jesus says to God the Father, I have completed my work by giving them eternal life. And in his love, he prays for his disciples saying, now, God, it's, it's their time to complete their work. Now, this entire chapter is Jesus' prayer, and I do not have the time or the capacity to break down this entire prayer. But there are three specific requests that Jesus makes that I want to bring to our attention this morning. And I believe the three requests wrapped up in one sentence is this. Jesus prayed that the church would be unified, 
so that God may be glorified and the world sanctified. Jesus prayed that his people may be one, unified, so that God may be glorified, lifted up, so that the world may be sanctified. So the main takeaway, our main application that we are to leave with after the next few minutes, that we as God's people are to pray and work to be one so that we can complete the work God has given us. Now, request number one, Jesus prayed for our protection. Jesus prayed for our protection. Look at verse 15 with me. It said, Jesus said, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I I love this right here. Jesus is acting as our, as the great priest who covers us and knows our every need. And he says, God, the Father, would you protect them? Would you guard them? And what's funny about this is that Jesus is not asking God to do anything that he hasn't already done. Jesus is not asking God to do something that, that he has never done before because if we know Looking at the Old Testament, and even you probably knowing your life, you know that God is the one who has always been his children's keeper. He's the one who has always been our refuge and protector. He is the one who has always opened up his wings so his children can come and hide. But I believe Jesus is praying this to remind us today of Psalm 46.1 that says God is a present help in times of trouble. He wants to remind us of Psalms 18 that says God is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And he wants us to know and have the assurance that we are not living this life on our own, but we have a God who we can run to who is our protector. No matter where we are, no matter what we face. And he says, don't, Father, don't take them out of the world, but instead sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This this word sanctify means to, to set apart for special use. Um, um, it's like that, that china at your grandma house that hasn't been used for 20 years. You know, it's, it's set aside for, for special use. God, Jesus says that I, I don't want you to take them out the world, but I, I want you to set them aside, give them a special use to, to do the work you have given them. That's why I don't want you to take them out the world. Because we still have work to do. Jesus said, I, I don't want you to pack them up and ship up all these Christians and place them on an island so they can live a life free of the world influence. I don't want Christians, I don't want the church to, to uh, put bubble wrap all around themselves trying to... Um, protect themselves from the influence of the world. I don't want you to run away. I don't want you to just cover your eyes and your face and ignore the real issues that are going on in the world because you have work to do. You're not supposed to leave. You're supposed to stay and engage. But guess what? I'm giving you the insurance that I will protect you. And 
it's important for us today to hear this because I don't want to speak for the church, but I know just being a true Miffian, and I have personally seen, seen churches in Memphis fail to uh, hear about this word. I have personally seen churches who, who back in the day were in the middle of the city, but when the neighborhood began to quote-unquote change or get a little rough, they moved out to create the suburbs. And 20 years later, when, when the neighborhood began to change again, they moved further out into the suburbs to run away from the world. We have to protect our family. We have to protect our children. We, and, 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 and I'm not judging anyone. I'm not um, um, trying to shame anyone. But I am, I do want us to see the charge, the work that Jesus has given us. That Jesus said, I left heaven, I came down low, I engaged the world. Y'all were some hell-bent, hell-bound, lost, wretched sinners, and I didn't cover myself up. Instead, I put on flesh. I came in the mud, and I, and I saved those who believe in me. And he says, I'm leaving now. I am trusting you. I am giving you the charge to do the same. What is eternal life? It's knowing me. How can the world know eternal life if we are not there to show them? He requested that we be protected. And request number two, Jesus asked for our unity. He prayed for our unity. Look at the second part of verse 11 with me again. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. And in verse 20, Jesus continued to speak. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that all who follow him be one. I want us to really slow down right here and pause and feel the weight of this moment, of, of this moment of chapter 17. Because chapter 18 is next, and the very next thing that's going to happen to Jesus, he's going to be arrested, tried unjustly, beating, beaten, and placed on the cross. So, in, in, so in, a, in a small way, these are Jesus' last words. This is almost equivalent to a dying father speaking to the oldest child, giving, giving this child the charge on, on how to carry on. It's his last wish. And in Jesus' last moments, he prays to the father, says, Father, my prayer for my children, my prayer for these disciples is that they be one. Why does he ask this? He tells us in verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do we see this? The oneness and the unity of the church is the witness to the world so that the world may too believe. 
This is why I'm going away so my followers, my church will, will do the work to the world. See, our unity as the church is to be a billboard to the world displaying the tangible love of an unseen God. So many times we People question, is, is God real because we can't hear him, we can't see him? And the reality is, Jesus said, you're right, you can't see the spiritual God, but the church, you, your oneness is the tangible love that the world can see and, and then believe. But let me take a moment to um, um, explain what this oneness really is. And before I explain what oneness is, I want to explain what oneness is not. Oneness is not a military unit all wearing the same outfits in line. I, I'm not, I don't come from, from a military family. I don't know the lingo, but, but they not in line during the march. I don't know. What you call that? Formation. There we go. There we go. They not in the same formation, all listening to the same commander doing the exact same thing. One is it's not that. One is it's not even us as downtown church all being pro-left, pro-life, or all being pro-choice. That's not one is. One is it's not. Everybody in the church being complementarian or egalitarian or everybody thinking LeBron is the GOAT or Michael Jordan is the GOAT. It's not every oneness. It's not sameness is what I'm trying to say. So we shouldn't leave a church because everybody don't look, think, or feel the same way that we feel. Instead, we should celebrate the diversity of each other's. For Ephesians 4 Paul said, um, 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 you are to live in the manner worthy of the gospel with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and, and love, fighting to keep the unity of the spirit. Paul knows that there are going to be people different who's, who come from this side of the tracks, who think like this. And our natural bodies, our natural minds want to judge those. How can the person think that? How can the person not, not condemn this? How can the person not do this? And then we begin to divide and separate off just like how the world does. But, one, but oneness is not sameness. Instead, this is my definition of, of Christian oneness. Christian oneness is the ability to stand united because of a new identity in Christ despite personal differences. Christian oneness doesn't mean everyone is the same, but in Christ everyone is working together towards the same goal. Um, a football team is unified not because everyone plays the same thing, but because they are all working towards the same goal. An orchestra is united, plays this harmonious, beautiful sound, not because everyone plays the same instrument. No, you got the brass department, the percussion um, section, the, the, the trombone, the tuba, the strings. And, but, but, but this orchestra can play a beautiful symphony, I think that's the word. That's it, amen. Because everyone in their uniqueness is 
playing the same song, working towards the same goal. Amen. The choir, this worship team up here is able to make a beautiful song to the Lord, not because everyone is, is, is singing the exact same part, but everyone in their differences comes together to work towards the same goal. And this is the definition of oneness in the church. It's the picture of, of, of diversity and, and us coming together in true relationships to work towards the same goal. Uh, Matt Carter, a pastor in Texas, says it this way. He says, the church can be a taste of heaven when people with different preferences, hobbies, jobs, genders, backgrounds, skin colors, accents, and tastes love one another with a love surpassing all human love. And this love opens a window to heaven and people begin to feel a breeze from a far off country and in their souls it awakens a long dormant hope. They want to go to that place and be with those people who, who know, see, and feel something different, something beyond, something more. This is the importance of us staying together as God's people to be one. So that the world may too see and believe in our great Savior. In the last request, Jesus prayed for their protection. He prayed for their, un their unity. And lastly, he prayed for a family reunion. Um, um, he prayed for a family reunion. Who don't love a good family reunion? Um, it's the time when you get to reunite with old family who you haven't seen in years and, and pick up like you never left. The one thing I love about family reunions is that you're able to just walk in and you don't got to know nobody's name, but you, you can just call everybody uncle, auntie, and cuz, and, and folks just going to lie. Boy, I ain't seen you since you was on, since you was about that tall, and it's just all love because we are family. It's the time where we come together and, 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 and eat some good ribs. If you're in Artez's family, you eat some, some, some vegan ribs. <laughs> it's the time where everybody just, just come together, do the cha-cha slide, the Cupid shuffle. It's the time where you can play spades and just have a good time. It's a joyous moment. It's a joyous occasion. And this is what Jesus asked for. Look again at verse 24 with me. Towards the end of his prayer, as he was getting ready to conclude, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I want us to pay attention to, to the words that Jesus used. He said, I desire, I want. My last wish before I endure this cross is for my people, my children, my disciples to be with me. Be with me where? To be with me in paradise, the place, I, the glory I have before the foundation of the world. I want us to see that this is the language of love. This is Jesus' love letter to us saying that I haven't even left yet, but I'm already dreaming of, about that day when me and you reunite. It's like the 
picture of someone getting ready to go off to war and in and, 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 and their last moment with their loved one. They say, I can't wait already for the day I get to hold you in my arms again. One commentator said it this way. Um, it said, Jesus in his final moments as the last grain of sand trickled through the hourglass before his, his rendezvous with darkness, Jesus gazes across the rolling eons of the future and anticipates the embrace of his beloved bride and the glory that is to be. This is the heart of Jesus. David said in Psalms 27 verse 4, he says, The one thing I desire is that I may be in the house of the Lord. And Jesus right here is saying, the one thing I desire is for you to be in my house, for you to be with me. What a wonderful reunion it will be. Many of you know my father passed away when I was seven, and my granddad passed away when I was nine. So I saw and experienced death at an, at, at an early age. I um, lear- learned early in my life just how uncontrollable life is. I learned at an early age that no matter what dreams you have, we do not control tomorrow. But as I have become um, a father of two and have begun to think about my future and and, um, pray for my kids and, and, and just dream for my kids, I have begun to pray a new prayer that I, I never asked for. I have begun to pray, God, will you allow me to be a granddad? No, 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 God, I, I want to be a great granddad. Would you bless me with that to allow me to see my kids grow up, to allow them to, to, to see them become adults, to walk with them through life, and to, and to see them have kids, and to be a and to be Pawpaw or, or Baba or whatever crazy name they want to give me. And then I was like, you know what, God, I, what would it be like to, to be that great granddad? That's something I want to see one day. I think that would be a, a beautiful thing. But the reality is, is that none of us have control over how long we're going to live. Um, none of us know what tomorrow holds, good or bad. We don't know. But the one thing that I can tell you for sure, the one thing that erases all my fear of death is that whenever I depart from my earthly house, I know you can find me in my father's house. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to be whatever, but I do know whenever I leave my earthly house, I'm going to be united with my Savior in my father's house. And this is the good news this morning, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have to worry or fret about your salvation. Because Jesus told us in John chapter 10 that I'm the good shepherd. I have never lost a sheep. Jesus gives us the assurance over and over again that no matter what ups and downs we face in life, there will soon come a day where we will walk into the family reunion of, of, of all reunions, where we will feast in the house of Zion. But we will be in the house of heaven, on, on the house of God on top of heaven's hill, where the streets are paved with gold. We will enter that family reunion and we will see our great Savior as he is and we will worship him face to face. What a privilege and a promise that is. We go into a home unaffected by divorce, 
unmarked by abuse and untainted by sin. We're going to a home where we will forever experience perfect and complete harmony. Why? Because we're going to our Father's house. This is the goal and the hope of God's people. To be unified so that God will be glorified and the world eventually sanctified. Let's pray. Dear Father, I didn't have time to share how we fail daily (laughs) to be unified, even in our own family homes, because we are full of pride, selfishness, bitterness, anger. But Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given us. We thank you for the grace that you give us daily. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, that you are the one who called us to something, but you are the one who keeps us as well. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even in our failure to live for you, even in our failure to to be one, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be perfect, but we have the freedom to mess up confess our failures and be restored in you. So Lord, I just pray for downtown church specifically, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you um, impress on everyone here to honor you, to have a vision to reach the world, and to have a vision to see you one day, someday. I pray all this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.